Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. There's just no way for one person to be able to handle that level of intense issues with an individual, which is often the case because the the criminal justice system is the one institution so often that these people have interactions with over and over and over again instead of, you know, mental health or addiction help or anything. I mean, it's just we're just pushing them through this system over and over and over again. This is Sarah from the left and Beth from the right. You're listening to Fancy Politics. No shouting, no insults, plenty of nuance. Today, we are going to talk about five things you need to know about criminal justice reform. I am so excited for this conversation. And then on Tuesday's episode, you will hear us talk about our opinions about criminal justice reform and just go a little bit deeper on this topic. But before we dive in, we want to make sure that you know we had a lovely conversation with the folks over at Little Faith Podcast. So check out Little Faith Podcast to hear our conversation there. And we're really excited about our upcoming trip to New Hampshire. Sarah, you want to tell everybody what we're doing there? Yes. I've never been to New Hampshire. I'm so excited about this. 
The River Run Bookstore invited us to come, and they are hosting us with the South Church in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, where we will be on April 6th at 6.30 p.m. And this is the really exciting part. We are going to interview Senator Maggie Hassan. I'm so excited. I'm so excited, too. Also, I just want us to be able to rent a car and drive around because New Hampshire is gorgeous, and I love it. And I think that we can make really fun Instagram videos doing that. So (laughs) it seems reasonable. Yeah, totally. Tickets are on sale now. They're only $5 or you can buy the book and get a ticket. And all the information is linked on our Facebook page. So check it out. So five things you need to know about criminal justice reform. I want to be real with you all that we had a very hard time narrowing this down to five. So we're going to have lots of like sub bullets on each point. But the first point is that the cost of being accused of a crime in America starts before you are convicted we have a serious problem with bail in this country. In the past 15 years, the number of people incarcerated in the United States has grown sharply. The number of criminal convictions has stayed about the same, and that is because so many people cannot afford their bail. So they are held in jail before hearings on whether they've committed crimes or not. I'm embarrassed by how long it took me into my adult life to understand that people sit in jail for months before they are ever convicted of a crime. It's a part of our justice system that is unknown to a huge percentage of the population. And not only that, but this particular issue is growing. The statistic that blew my mind. On a typical day in the United States, roughly a half a million people are incarcerated but have not been convicted of a crime. In an overwhelming majority of these cases, a judge has deemed the person to be eligible for release, so they're not a flight risk, which is where bail kind of originated, that it was supposed to be an incentive for people to show up for their next hearing. So these people aren't flight risk, but they have bail against them, and they remain incarcerated because they cannot pay it. Two-thirds of the population in jail, not prison, jail, and one-quarter of the total incarcerated population consist of pretrial detainees. The average cost of bail has steadily increased. Bail amounts vary widely. The national median is about $10,000 for felonies and less for misdemeanors, typically under $2,000. But even lower amounts are more than most people can pay. In 2017, there was a study showing that 4 in 10 Americans can't handle an unexpected $400 expense. So it's not surprising that so many people cannot afford these bail amounts. And because of that... We have an industry around bail that is about a $2 billion a year industry for commercial bonds. The idea with bail is that you pay the court and the court holds that money to ensure that you show up for your hearings. But when you show up, that money is released back to you. Because so many people can't pay that money, they use a commercial bail agency. So they pay a small percent as a fee. The commercial bail agency promises to pay the rest. But you're stuck with interest and fees even if you show up for your trial. This practice of commercializing bail bonds is legal only in two countries in the world, the United Mm. States and the Philippines. It's so exploitive. And what's really heartbreaking is I think we have this vision of, well, yeah, you want somebody who's been accused of murder to pay bail or something like that. But you're talking about little misdemeanors. In some heartbreaking cases I've read about, you have people being arrested because they're delinquent on court fines they cannot pay 
or sometimes child support they cannot pay. And we put them in prison without any financial resources and say, well, you don't have any financial resources to pay this debt. So we're going to pile on some more debt so you can't work and have no way to get out and get more financial resources. So people lose their jobs. They lose their homes because they can't pay rent. They lose their children because they're stuck in jail, unable to make bail. Monetary bail has been on the rise in recent years. Between 1990 and 2009, the number of felony cases in which courts imposed money as bail rose from 37 percent to 61 percent. There have been efforts across the nation to reform bail particularly in New Jersey and even in Kentucky, there are some risk assessment systems so that there are processes in place to assess whether someone is a flight risk and then use bail accordingly. California actually outlawed cash bail in 2018 and replaced it with an algorithmic risk assessment system that predicts whether people will show up. But unfortunately, the algorithm as we know from other areas of our life, is not perfect. And there's been a lot of criticism of actually California's reform that it's put too much power in the hands of the algorithm and in judges. So it really exasperates these terrible economic and racial stereotypes. So sometimes these even the reforms are making it worse, not better. There is a bipartisan push for bail reform. Most people agree that we shouldn't have so many people in jail before we know if they've done anything wrong or not, and that wealth should not be seems such pretty basic. It does seem pretty basic. It seems kind of fundamental to the mm-hmm. idea of an American justice system, and that wealth shouldn't be such an enormous factor for people who've been accused of crime. But how you go about this opinions vary widely. So we'll talk more on Tuesday about some of the efforts underway to deal with this and the organizations doing this work. But that's thing number one. It's really expensive to be accused of a crime. And if you can't spend that money, you're going to sit in jail and wait for a judge to hear your case. So the second thing we want you to know is that once you're in the court system, the process is difficult and that good representation is hard to come by. I think it continues this narrative of bail, which is we think once someone is accused of a crime, it's innocent until proven guilty. But the way that our process operates is often the opposite and that the pressures put on a person and the process in place really acts as if the person needs to prove they're innocent not that the state needs to prove that they're guilty. The first thing is there is an enormous pressure to plead guilty, to plead out to lesser crimes, to get yourself and your case out of the court system, which is overtaxed. And so if you can't pay bail and you're sitting in jail and someone offers you the chance to go home by pleading guilty to a crime, even if you didn't commit it, then you're going to take it because there's all this pressure to get out of jail. And even if you can pay bail, there's this sense that you will be penalized for taking the case to trial and that prosecutors and sentencing guidelines and judges often let defendants know in inadvertent but sometimes very obvious ways that if they take this case to trial and they're convicted, they're going to get a harsher sentence. The most recent season of Serial illustrates this really well. And you can hear in very explicit terms a judge saying, 
do you want to take your chances because I promise the sentence will be harsher? And Mm -hmm. that's wrong and it shouldn't happen. But there's also not a ton of oversight of statements like that from the bench. And a person who's been accused of crime, especially a person who's being detained because they can't post bail, is extremely vulnerable and powerless in this situation. This statistic from the National Association of Criminal Defense Attorneys blew my mind. Less than 3% of state and federal criminal defendants go to a jury trial. A jury trial is the most fundamental aspect of our criminal justice system. And this is where I think people rightly say, I just heard James Foreman say this recently, I thought it was so good and so true, that we shouldn't really call it a criminal justice system at this point. It is a criminal legal system. But it is not working justice in most cases. Absolutely not. Well, and let's talk about criminal defense and representation. So as most of us know, the Sixth Amendment to the Constitution assures the right to legal representation in criminal trials. Criminal defense attorneys are very expensive. So often people are dependent on public defenders. Public defenders are massively overworked. And public defender departments are incredibly underfunded. I have many friends who work as public defenders. It is hard work. It is stressful work. They make almost no money, and they are constantly without time and resources to meet the needs of the massive amount of clients coming their way. On average, and this varies widely by where you live, but on average, public defenders make $47,500 a year coming out of law school. The average that most people come out of law school with in terms of debt is $100,000 a year. If you join a big law firm, and that's kind of a term in the, in the law school world, right? Big law, one word. The average starting salary is $135,000. And so you can understand why it's difficult to get people to do public defense work. Now, there's been some good trends in terms of attracting more people to that work, but the caseloads are still completely unmanageable. A Justice Policy Institute report said that national standards recommend public defenders handle no more than 150 felony, 400 misdemeanor, 200 juvenile, 200 mental health, or 25 appeals per year. Based on these standards, only 21% of state-based public defender offices and 27% of county-based public defender offices have enough attorneys to manage their caseloads. Well, and, you know, I know from speaking with so many of my public defender friends, the idea that the only thing happening here is legal representation is laughable. I mean, it's, it's this really intense combination of, like, legal defense, social work, addiction counseling, mental health worker, like people are not committing crimes because they're fully intact individuals making bad choices. Often they're traumatized, often they're addicts, often they're mentally ill. And, you know, there's just no way for one person to be able to handle that level of intense issues with an individual, which is often the case because the the criminal justice system is the one institution so often that these people have interactions with over and over and over again instead of, you know, mental health or addiction help or anything. I mean, it's just we're just pushing them through this system over and over and over again. So point number two, once you have been accused of a crime, getting represented well and moving through the system is incredibly challenging. It feels like a casino 
where the house is going to win every time in the form mm-hmm. of a plea bargain. Mm-hmm. So let's say you plea or you are convicted of a crime. The third thing we want you to know is that sentencing adds another layer of inequity on top of everything we've already talked about. The federal criminal system is a very tiny piece of the overall picture, but I want to talk about it because it's been widely publicized that Congress actually did bipartisan criminal justice reform last year, and President Trump signed it into law, and his administration was instrumental in its passage. And so it's important to talk about that. There are about 181,000 people in federal prison and 2.1 million people in the system total. So just remember, most people are convicted under state laws, but the federal system is still significant. And it is important that the First Step Act passed at the end of 2018. The major reforms here are to overall decrease the number of years people spend in prison and improve the conditions in which they live while in prison. So they made reforms enacted in 2010 retroactive. Those reforms from 2010 were aimed at reducing the crack cocaine sentencing disparities. So a little over 2,000 people were helped by that particular reform. They also expanded the discretion of judges to avoid handing down mandatory minimum sentences. There is a three-strike rule that was eased by this legislation. It restricts the practice of stacking gun charges against drug offenders to add decades to prison sentences. That's a really significant aspect of this act. And it increases credits that you can get in prison. This hasn't worked perfectly, but it does allow people to participate in vocational and rehabilitative programs. Not everyone is eligible for this. And like I said, there's a long way to go here, but there's some good work in that. It also improved conditions in federal prisons. I can't believe this had to happen in 2018, but they have finally banned the shackling of women during childbirth. So that's a good improvement. And they have required that inmates be placed closer to their families. The controversial part of not everyone being eligible for some of these changes also involves an algorithm, just like we talked about with bail in California. There's an algorithm to determine who can cash in earned time credits with inmates deemed higher risk excluded from cashing in. And that, of course, reinforces socioeconomic, racial, gender disparities within the system. So not perfect, but a significant step forward, and I'm really happy that it passed. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsu Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries, I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less. No thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special. And they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box. And $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. 
because I think about Griffin going away to college. Y'all, he's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash pantsuit. Looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life? Aura frames are beautiful, Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and share photos via the Aura app. And if you're giving an Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. You guys, I love my Aura frames. I have one in my office. I have one in my kitchen. I have given one as a housewarming gift. I have given one as Mother's Day. Father's Day. They are the most amazing gifts because this app is a game changer, in my personal opinion, in digital frames. It makes it so, so easy to get the pictures on there and even videos. It plays like you're in Harry Potter, you guys. It is the best. I love mine so much. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A Frames.com. Use code Pantsuit at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. So, as Beth said, addressing federal sentencing is important, but it is going to have minimum impact, even if they released every federal inmate, it would have minimum impact on our overall prison population. The hope is that if the federal government can exhibit some leadership, that some states will follow. I think the more likely scenario, which is what we're seeing in Texas, who's really been a leader in reforms on state sentencing, is that something has got to give. States cannot afford to keep building prisons and building prisons and building prisons because our criminal justice system is expensive and we need money for infrastructure and public education and other things. And so bumping up against those limits, budgetary limits more than anything else, states are exhibiting some reform. So in Texas in 2007, the state prison population was 170,000 people, and the state needed $2 billion to build another 17,000 prison beds. So they decided that it was expensive and it made more sense to create drug courts, reduce incarceration rates, and offer rehab and education for $241 million. The state's prison population since then has dipped by 30,000 and the crime rate is the lowest it has been since 1967. And so what they're realizing in Texas is that we really need to bring everything to the table. We need drug courts. We need veterans courts. We need to increase public defender funding, eliminate mandatory minimums, legalize marijuana, all these things. You know, this is a big, complex problem. And the idea that we will solve 
all problems within our criminal legal system by just tinkering on the edges with the process itself is unrealistic. We're going to have to make big changes within the criminal legal system, and we're going to have to make big changes culturally in other areas. The fourth thing we want you to know about criminal justice reform is that a prison sentence does not represent the entirety of your punishment. And punishment can continue far beyond the walls of prison. Absolutely. One of the biggest issues with this is civil asset forfeiture and, excitingly, hopefully, an area of seemingly bipartisan. I don't really like to use the word bipartisan when describing the Supreme Court, but people from different parts of the political spectrum agree that civil asset forfeiture has gone way too far. So we see agreement between Justice Sotomayor and Justice Gorsuch. Recently, the Supreme Court ruled that the Constitution places limits on the ability of states and localities to take and keep cash, cars, houses, any other assets of private property used to commit crime. This is known as civil forfeiture, and it's been used recently by these police departments and locales to raise revenue. That's just that's what they're doing. And it's really, really easily abused. The case that came before the Supreme Court was a small time drug offender who pleaded guilty to paying two hundred and twenty five dollars of heroin to undercover police officers. He was sentenced to one year of house arrest, five years of probation and twelve hundred in fees and fines. And then they seized his $42,000 Land Rover, which he had bought with the proceeds of his father's life insurance policy. And the Supreme Court said, no, gone too far. It was a nine to zero decision that said that they states under the 14th Amendment had exceeded the limits of the Eighth Amendment, which bars excessive fines. So this is one way in which you just keep paying literally after you've been convicted of a crime. Another problem is the actual debt, your fees, fine, restitution that you've been ordered to make. From 1991 to 2004, the percentage of inmates with monetary sanctions rose from 25 to 66 percent. That's a lot. It's a lot. It's a big rise. And then an area of real passion for me is collateral consequences. So these are just impacts on your life outside of prison that happen as a result of having been in prison. A major issue is voting disenfranchisement. 6.1 million Americans have lost their right to vote because of incarceration. There are obviously lots of efforts at reform on this. In the news right now is a story out of Florida, which passed through a constitutional amendment, the restoration of voting rights. But in talking about how to implement that, a committee voting along party lines that is majority Republican voted to require felons to pay back all of their outstanding court fees and costs before they are eligible to vote again, even if those costs are not handed down by a judge as part of the person's sentence. And as our listener Emily pointed out, she has some personal knowledge of the court system. Lots of people don't even know that they owe court fees and costs. And so this seems to be a real effort to undermine what Florida voters did. Other forms of collateral consequences that people don't think about often are it's hard to get hired for certain jobs if you've been convicted on anything. There are ban-the-box efforts across the country. We'll talk more about that on Tuesday. You can't get certain state licenses. This is a real issue. So if you plea, we talked about the pressure on you is to plead guilty to something. If you do that, you might not be able to become a hairstylist in your state or an electrician or a plumber. Honestly, very few state legislators can keep straight what all is on their books 
And public defenders Mm. have trouble getting together resources to advise people. If you take this plea and you have this record, here are all of the ways it will impact your future employment, housing, student loans. Can you be eligible for jury duty or not? Deportation is a major issue if you are an immigrant. Judges are not obligated to warn defendants about all of these collateral consequences before they plea. And the standards across the United States vary for whether lawyers have to do that. So you might not be able to win an ineffective assistance of counsel claim against a public defender or a criminal defense attorney who advises you to take a plea without advising you, here's how it's going to impact the rest of your life. And then one other important piece of this is that more and more prisoners are being used to do civic work without receiving payment Mm -hmm. and often dangerous work. So we saw this in dealing with the California wildfires, for example. There are just lots of ways that we strip so much dignity and economic prospect from people because of their time in prison. Because we strip all of that away, we have pretty high recidivism rates. Mm -hmm. We really limit what people are able to do productively after they've served their time through all of these collateral consequences. So this is another area that has a lot of good energy from people of very different political persuasions around it. It's just going to take so much work because there are so many different laws that limit what people can do after they've served time. So... The last thing we wanted you to know about the criminal justice system is with regards to the death penalty. When we strip someone of the ultimate cost, which is their life for committing a crime, the death penalty is legal in 30 states. Now, for those of you who didn't know, the Supreme Court actually briefly suspended the death penalty in 1972, but then reinstated it in 1976. In 2018, most recently, 42 people were sentenced to death. 25 people were executed. The most recent data says that about 2,700 people sit on death row in the United States. The biggest issue that has come with the death penalty recently is the process of actually taking someone's life. So we've eliminated through the legal system all different forms of execution from the electric chair to hanging, which this is crazy. The last execution by hanging took place in Delaware in 1996. What the heck, Delaware? firing squad, all these really barbaric forms. And we we sort of sterilized it and tried to clean it up with lethal injection. There was a really fascinating episode of More Perfect where they examine the death penalty activist who basically used the drug company supplying the lethal injection drugs as a way to shut down executions, basically shaming these companies, several European companies, from providing the drugs for lethal injection. And it worked. So now it became increasingly difficult for states to get these drugs. They would be dependent on other drugs that were really ineffective, and you would have these awful stories of death row inmates really suffering. They were just suffering. It was cruel and unusual, for sure, the way that they were dying through lethal injection. Because of those issues in particular, the pace of executions have really slowed. So I think there are sort of two issues with the death penalty. One is that the method of execution— and the the conversation surrounding that. And then I think the other thing is whether or not we have in the past executed innocent people. So you have the recent Oprah Book Club book, The Sun Does Shine by Anthony Ray Hinton, who spent, I think, 20, 30 years on death row for a crime that he was completely innocent of. There's some really 
good evidence that there was a arsonist case in Texas. The man was executed for burning down the house where his children were. And there's a lot of evidence. He just didn't do it. You have people freed through DNA evidence from death row. That's why Illinois shut down their death row. They had like six or seven people freed from death row for crimes they were innocent of. DNA evidence completely freed them. And so, I mean, I just think that that is a really hard thing to look at. There's no way that we've seen the skyrocket of innocent people being freed from death row with the advent of DNA and that before DNA evidence, we just didn't have any innocent people on death row. No, we just executed them. And I think that that is something a lot of states are looking at, a lot of people are thinking about is, is our success rate of convicting people, especially when we've just examined all these inequities within the criminal justice system, is it good enough? Is our process good enough that we feel comfortable executing people? Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. 
Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy Filtered Showerhead is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy Filtered Showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code Pantsuit at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. There is a death penalty case in the news this week. I talked about it in detail on the Nightly Nuance on Thursday on Patreon. Curtis Flowers' case is in front of the United States Supreme Court right now. This is the sixth time he has been tried for murder in Mississippi of four people. Same crime. Six murder trials. In the first two, he was convicted and the convictions were overturned for prosecutorial issues. There were just lots of shenanigans in those trials that were very wrong. The Mississippi Supreme Court said in a case where death is the penalty, these errors become intolerable. And so I appreciate that very much. There were two mistrials after that. The fifth conviction was overturned because of racial bias in the jury selection process. And his case is now in front of the Supreme Court, again, because of racial bias in the jury selection process. All of the black jurors but one were eliminated using peremptory challenges by the prosecution. And this case got on my radar because it prompted a question from Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. He hasn't asked a question oral argument in three years. Before that, he went 10 years without asking a question. So it's very unusual for him to speak. But if you dig into the history of this case at all, you can see how race, economics, all of the things that we've been talking about in this episode significantly come to a head as it relates to the death penalty. We will dig into that more on Tuesday's episode, as well as reform efforts and the truly bipartisan nature of most of these reform efforts. It is heartening that this seems to be an area that we have some agreement on. If if we don't agree on all of the details, we do have some great work being done by people from both parties. We wanted to recommend a previous episode if you wanted to hear more about this before we have the conversation on Tuesday. Beth co-hosted with Sarah Shotland, and they talked in depth about prison population and sentencing reform and some criminal justice issues. So if you want to listen to that before Tuesday, also, we had to give a big shout out to our listener, Fred, at the Brookings Institute. They have an amazing amount of resources with regards to several of the factors we've talked about, including monetary sanctions. Fred's going to do a Brookings podcast on this. So check out brookings.edu as well. We'll be back with you on Tuesday to continue this discussion and to cover all the news that transpires between now and then. Keep it nuanced, y'all. Dylan Garvin produces Pantsuit Politics every week. Thanks for making us sound better, Dylan. Elise Knapp is our managing director, which means we could not make it without her scheduling, organization, feedback, and creativity. Thank you, Elise. We couldn't make Pantsuit Politics without support from our listeners. Go to patreon.com slash pantsuitpolitics to learn how you can receive more nuance and help us make the show. Special thanks to our executive producers who have committed to supporting us in a major 
life-giving way. Tracy Putoff, Tim Miller, Cherry Haas, Sarah's husband, Nicholas Holland, and my husband, Chad Silvers. Our theme music is composed and performed by Dante Lima. The music under our ads is composed and performed by Dylan Garvin. Learn more about our lives, live events that we're involved in, and what we're reading each week by signing up for our weekly newsletter at pantsuitpoliticsshow.com. And connect with members of the Pantsuit Politics community by following us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. 